Hi, John. Can you come out and play? <laughs> oh, Let goodness. me ask my mom. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired to get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directly. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 62 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Ward Bell. Hello there. John Papa. Hey, everybody. Lucas Rubelke. True story, bro. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, Scott Allen. Greetings and salutations. Yay! Now, how do we know this is the real Scott Allen? Well, there are a few out there on the internet. Imposters not accepted, huh? <laughs> I don't know, Ward. I don't know what, what I could do to prove my identity. I think that uh, if we were talking about identity in today's show, that would be a perfect segue. Or we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we're talking about package managers in the brand new world of, well, how would you even characterize this brand new world, Scott? Well, I think things have certainly changed since we got the 2015 specification for JavaScript and modules became a real thing because that seemed to accelerate a movement towards different types of package managers, package managers that could handle modules a little bit better. And certainly, if I'm going to continue, <laughs> I think, uh, well, I think there's a few tools floating around that we were kicking around the idea of discussing. And when you're talking about package managers, there's certainly been a move from simple package management, a la something like Bower, where you just want to Bower install something and Bower will happily download that something and put it on your file system. There's been a move to something more sophisticated like JSPM, where JSPM is a package manager. You can say, JSPM, please install Angular or Angular 2 or jQuery, and it will grab some bits and put them on your file system. But then it also maintains some configuration that can be used at runtime so that you can load these libraries as modules or load modules as modules. I, I guess that's what I was going to ask first was, yeah, are we talking about traditional package managers or are we talking about module loaders? Well, in the case of JSPM, there's a little bit of overlap there because there's certainly other tools that don't necessarily get involved in package management as much. They say, you know, use Bower, use NPM, use whatever you want to get things onto your file system. But then once they're there, you can treat them as modules or you can write code in modules and we will take care of putting everything together for you so that you can actually serve it into a browser in an efficient manner. And tools like that would be Webpack would be one notable example, and Browserify would be another one. And I think of those three, JSPM, Webpack, and Browserify, they all have slightly different perspectives on the world, and that would influence which of those tools you might choose and which workflow you might use with those. Now, to pick up on Chuck's point, though, because there seem to be a lot of 
uh, functions involved here. There's there's finding packages and maintaining packages and libraries of packages and blah, 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 you know, just the packaging itself. And that's one area of functionality, and there were tools dedicated to that. But you're also talking about my application requests these uh, modules using the, the exact same tool. Is that what we're saying here? Or are we really keeping the dividing line between those things that manage packages and put them on my machine versus mechanisms for accessing those packages once they're wherever they are? Well, I'm confused. Yeah, there can't. Uh, so it, it all blends together. I guess going back to the opening question, what's different now? And what's different now is that people are starting to author code that cannot execute natively in the browser. So it's written with ECMAScript 2015 or ES7 or whatever future standard is out there that hasn't been implemented yet. Or it's using modules where the syntax for the language has been defined quite clearly. But the browser implementation to actually deal with modules isn't there yet, so you need some sort of library to help you with that. That's what's different about the world today. So if you're going into something and you want to build an application using Angular 2 and you want to use TypeScript, which will compile into modules, you're still going to need some sort of tool or some sort of runtime polyfill, which will understand how to load that code and get it into the browser to execute in the proper manner. Got it. I think we're talking about a few different things, right? And we're trying to clarify what these are. And there's <laughs> there's things as, as we're talking about, like, how do you get your modules in the first place? Like NPM install, right? Some of these things do that for you. Particularly JSPM does that as well for you. Uh, but then there's the next step of once you've got those things, how do you load the modules in the browser, as you said? And then right. there's a third side of that, which is how do you bundle? Can right. each of these bundle or not? What do you and mean by like bundle? So bundling means, okay, loading modules is where you're saying, I've got 20 modules in my app, and they kind of successively load each other as they go. Right. Which could be great, but in a large application, once you get beyond demo land, you might want to make bundles of certain sections of your application. Maybe the customer sales part of your application pulls in 50 modules, and then there's another part that pulls in another 20 modules. So you want to create bundles that can do that for you. Uh, so I, th I see this conversation as how do we solve each of those? How do you get your modules on your mm. machine? How do you load your modules? And then how do you deal with bundling? I, I have no predisposed idea of one thing has to do all three of those either. Oh, sure. So let me kick around something that I was thinking about today in preparation for this podcast, which is there's three primary tools that people are using today to deal with modules. So we'll talk about package management and bundling and things like that also. But there's a tool called Browserify. And if you look at the Browserify philosophy, it was essentially looking at the world through the lens of a Node.js programmer. So you're a Node.js programmer authoring JavaScript using common JS modules. And now you want to have that script put together and loaded so it can execute in a browser, which doesn't understand anything about common JS. That is something that Browserify can do. Then there's another rather popular tool called Webpack, which has a slightly different philosophy, which is that you're writing JavaScript code, doesn't have to be a node, and there's a good chance that you're writing modular JavaScript code where a JavaScript file is a module and it will import things from other places and export things. And it could be using CommonJS or it could be using asynchronous module definitions. It could be using ES syntax, ES6 syntax, doesn't matter. What Webpack can do is you can tell Webpack Here's the entry point to my application. Now, please take that file, analyze it, figure out what the dependencies are, what other modules it depends on, and what the dependencies of those modules are, and just put something together for me so I can efficiently deliver a script to the browser that is a, a single download that will give me all the features I need. That might be just the features that are enough to get your shell page up and running. So a minimal download, a minimal code download, just to get things up and running. And then later load additional pieces that Webpack has put together for other areas of your application. And you basically just want to get, you know, hunks of JavaScript code into the browser to satisfy the user, what the user is trying to do. So they click to a new area, we'll, we'll load some new stuff. And then there's JSPM, which is a little bit broader in scope. So JSPM says there's a new world where people are going to be writing JavaScript code using ES6 syntax. And they might also want some code that uses uh, AMD syntax or common JS syntax, doesn't matter. We're just going to assume that you're a developer who wants to sit down, you want to install some stuff like Angular 2, so we're going to have some package management features to get things onto the file system. 
And going back to the other tools like Webpack and Browserify, they don't deal with that. They just say, there's already package managers out there. Just use NPM. Just use Bower. Just use whatever you're happy with. JSPM is a little more opinionated because it says, we're going to manage your packages for you, and then you're going to author your code. And then if you want, you can just install a shim that we provide called System.js into the browser, and that will automatically load the bits of code that are needed on demand, even transpile things on the fly if you want. But we'll also, by the way, provide the ability to bundle things up for you, similar to what Webpack does. So you can tell JSPM, here's the entry point for my application. Please take the following modules and put them all into a single file for me to deliver down to the client. And you can split pieces up so you can load, again, just the shell enough to get the shell page up and running and then have additional features and piles of JavaScript code that are loaded up later on. If I get you right, you've classified these as basically you've got Browserify as one option, which is the, the canonical, more classic way at this point of just loading node modules. And then I think the two more, I'd say, modern, more recent ones that have been uh, getting strong and growing popularity are the Webpack technique, and then the third one would be the JSPM slash SystemJS technique, right? I would say that's correct. Those are definitely the newer tools and a little more modern and forward-looking. I think what I've seen is the trend moving towards those two tools. But to be very honest, I think most developers looking in this space right now aren't exploring any of these yet. And I think they should be because this is kind of where we're heading is you're going to need one of these things to load your modules. When you're writing ES6 or TypeScript, you need something to get these kind of things uh, to work with the module system. Because uh, Angular 1 you know, didn't have this, this real module system, for example. But when we go to what I've been seeing very um, disturbingly is whether you're using Webpack or using the system.js, JSPM combo, the configuration of both of these becomes beastly very quickly. Are you seeing that too? Yes, I think there's some developers out there that don't have any sort of tooling for JavaScript at all, and that is going to have to change pretty quickly. And then there's you know other developers that have minimal sets of tooling but haven't looked at some things like Webpack and JSPM, and I think that has to change too if you're going to be building with modern frameworks that are coming out this year and next year and so forth. One thing that I'm seeing here, I mean, I've used Bower and then I've used, I'm trying to remember the different systems that I've used for module management. And I, I'm just, I've never been a fan of the systems that are kind of the all-in-one systems. And I don't see that any of these are necessarily cohesive enough to necessarily justify doing the all three jobs. So let me tell you what I've been doing lately for this. And I'm not sure I've, I was very honest here on air. I had not solidified on which way I want to move towards. But today, right now, the path that I've been choosing for like Angular 2 and whatnot is I still use NPM to pull my packages in. And I get those on my machine. I'm using NPM for Angular, for everything. And then I use System.js as my module loader, just System.js on its own mm -hmm. to get my modules into the application. And I'm feeling that out, trying to figure out, you know, what I like, what are its quirks, uh, how is this going for me? And I'm liking that a lot because I've gotten to a point where I can make the configuration almost dead simple. Uh, the next step would be pulling in JSPM so I can get that bundling aspect in for larger apps. So that would be that stack. But I'm also very interested in seeing, okay, another way to go is to, instead of using System.js, is to just use Webpack to do the module loading and then do the bundling as well. Uh, and seeing that side by side, I think is very illuminating as far as uh, the two things I look for is besides does it work, because it does work, is what's the performance of both of those side by side? And I don't have a good sense of that yet. And then the other side of that is what's the maintenance aspect? And the maintenance aspect is what's concerning me when I use Webpack. I'm, I'm easily getting into the 100 to 200 lines of configuration. Yeah, I've, I've used uh, Bower and Webpack, and I've kind of liked that combination. Um, I'm not completely sold on Webpack, and it's probably just because I don't know all of the features yet. But I do like the fact that you can specify targets and tell it to watch your files. It doesn't work perfectly, but it works good enough most of the time. Yeah, that's sort of a different aspect of these tools where things like Webpack have additional features that you might use in development. So we've been talking about loading modules and bundling things, which is what you would think of to deliver the working application. But then Webpack includes things like file watchers and all sorts of extensibility points and, and plugins to do different tasks that you might need. JSPM also, but well, JSPM is a little bit different, I'd say. Actually, JSPM, I think, is really oriented towards 
making for an easy development workflow. So what you could do with JSPM is you could just JSPM install a few things, add the configuration file that JSPM generates for you into the browser, along with the system.js reference. And you can just start working in a browser and refreshing the browser and writing code in ES6. And you never have to worry about watching files or building JavaScript or anything like that. And for some people that are just trying to get up and started with a, a prototype, the way that they would do five years ago, where you just start writing some code and refreshing the browser, JSPM provides that experience. I think Webpack is a little more oriented towards, yes, we'll give you the development experience, but we're really focused on, we know you have to ship an application, so we're just going to assume that you will always do some sort of bundling, thus the name Webpack. We're going to package things up for you. Where JSPM just has, a like, like I say, a slightly different philosophy. I think it focuses more on... Here's the one tool you need to do everything and development with it. Development with this tool can be very simple, but yeah, you can also do bundling if you want. And so I've heard a few things. I don't know this for a fact, but I've heard that the design of how they work, that Webpack is not following kind of where the module specs are leaning towards. You need to the module specs are not ratified yet either, but uh, hmm. that system.js is kind of moving in that direction. I don't have anything concrete for them to kind of, back that up. I'm curious, have you heard, you know, as far as we, we all know that ES 2016, I guess we're calling it, is moving right. towards hopefully having some kind of a module spec. Yes. So that's not solidified yet, but that means that right. our Webpack or System.js kind of aligning with that, <clears throat> or do we not know? System.js is definitely trying to align with that specification and be line for line what the specification says should be there. So this field should be there and this method should be there for dynamic imports and all of that. And I don't think Webpack follows that as closely. In fact, yeah, I, I don't think it does. No. Well, let me ask the bigger question. Do we care? I mean, well, there is no spec yet. Does it matter? No. <laughs> well, and the other thing is, is that, I mean, if I'm using Webpack at this point for all of my build processes, I don't know that it really is hurting me. I mean, I, I get the output file that I want and I serve it statically anyway. Right. And from that perspective, you may may not care exactly what Webpack is doing. It's magic, but it works. Yep. Yeah, I think as long as you've got something that works, I mean, most people just care that it works, it's performing, and it's consistent, and it's easy to maintain. Uh, and if you feel you've got that, I don't think any of these options are bad in any way. No, but I do think people find them scary, and, and the maintenance aspect is certainly one of them. And I know with JSPM, I've run into issues where upgrading to a new version of JSPM and now my configuration files are broke or I'm trying to do something that's just a little bit different than what everyone else does with JSPM or change some paths around and now I have to fiddle around with the API so that modules are loading from the correct place or or are being bundled from the correct place. So I think there is some complexity that is added when you introduce these tools to the development cycle and, and to producing your code. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, so I had an experience recently, and I was using System.js, and I found a few things that it was lacking that I needed. And my first experience going out there was create a GitHub issue, describe what I needed, and I went to bed. And I woke up five hours later, and it was fixed. And I was really thoroughly impressed. And I, the guy who runs uh, System.js is Guy Bedford. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is a common occurrence or not, but I know Ward is familiar with this one too, because I reported the bug, it was driving me nuts. And then suddenly in the morning, it was, it was just there. It was pretty awesome. So to me, I like that this community, it seems both Webpack and System.js, when I look at the GitHub issues, they're both very responsive because we've all too often bet on something that has kind of disappeared or just stopped being maintained. And I think you want to make sure whatever you're picking, because you can't even do Angular, right, without something that loads your modules. I have also seen Guy Bedford be very responsive. I've seen people open issues in the Gitter chat room and the next day they're, they're fixed. I think that's a good sign because it's funny, you know, we did a show recently on Angular 2 and kind of where the state of it was. And my first problem I had wasn't Angular 2. My first issue with Angular 2 is I couldn't even get to Angular 2 until I figure out how do I load these modules. Mm. And, you know, going through similar things that you were with, you know, sometimes the breaking changes and just trying to get System.js and Webpack separately to work with Angular 2 was um, frustrating, to say the least, you know, being on the bleeding edge. And then finally, once I got them loaded, I, got, I had a lot of fun playing with Angular 2. But it's unlike the ES5 world, uh, at least is my impression, is where you, you can't just take Angular 2 or 
some of these newer uh, frameworks and run them unless you have an understanding of a base module order. Yeah, that's, that's a real. True. Yeah, that's a real shift. I mean, I think that's the, what's driving some of our, our conversation here is that if we were JavaScript programmers before this era, uh, you know, we, we, we created a global namespace and in Angular it, it creates its own. And you just assumed everything was there. You weren't loading things. Uh, it wasn't typical to be loading things unless you decided to take on a library like require. So your basic problem was get the stuff to the machine with some standard package manager. And then once you got it there, you were off and running and your code was unaware of how any of the material got there. It just was assumed to be in the environment. And that made things easy, but it didn't make things dynamic. And now you can't write in any of these new frameworks, Angular 2 being one of them, but that's the way Aurelia is going and the way I think Ember's leaning and a bunch of the other frameworks. You can't go anywhere without having, it's obviously Equascript, 2015, uh, you can't write anything without thinking about loading modules as part of the application itself. And that's driving this. That's my sense. Does that sound right to people? Yeah, two points there. So number one, this is why I think some of these tools are, are so fantastic. In the old days, we were used to just writing JavaScript into a file and loading it into the browser and everything's done. And then we realized as we matured a little bit, and I'm talking maybe 2008 or so, that Huh, you know, putting all these things just into a JavaScript file where they are in the global scope, maybe that's not such a good idea. And so for the last seven or eight years, we've introduced all this artificial syntactic complexity into JavaScript files where you have, you know, self-executing anonymous functions and the iffy constructs and all the strange syntax surrounding all the code, all because JavaScript only has global scope and function scope. So we wanted always everything inside of a function. What's so refreshing when you use some sort of module loader is that you can treat a file as a module and then you can go back to writing just plain JavaScript code inside of that file without the weirdness of an iffy or finding some global object that's already defined like the Angular object or getting a reference to an Angular.module to put a component inside of it. You can just write the code the way you want. You can import that code into a unit test and test it. You can import that code into a, another module that registers it with a framework like Angular. That's why I think these tools are so great. Now, maybe one day we'll be back at the point where you don't need tools. You'll just be able to author JavaScript files and lay them all out on the file system. And the browser will, all the browsers will understand how to natively lo load modules. Everyone will be running HTTP2, so everything will get loaded efficiently. But I think that's a ways off. And really, I don't think we'll ever reach that point again. I think from here on out, at least for the foreseeable future, we're always going to have some sort of tooling support to do things like transpilation or to do things like bundle and concatenate files because even with the HTTP2 specification where you can have multiple requests in flight over a single connection, I don't think it's necessarily going to solve some of the bottlenecks of, hey, I got this JavaScript file. Now it has three dependencies. Let me go out and grab them. And, oh, I discovered another 10 dependencies. So... There's always, I think, right. the chain you know, of some sort of bundling. Solved. Right. Would you, Scott, would you mind taking a moment to talk about HTTP2 and kind of what, what that does for people? Well, sure. The basic idea is that the people who, who author the HTTP specification says, oh, wow, look at the web now. You go to a web page and it needs to include 10, 15, 20 different resources. And the way the browsers have been accomplishing that is by opening up multiple connections to the server and requesting things in parallel. But that causes issues because TCP was always sort of designed with the idea that you need to go to the server and get information. Well, open up one TCP IP socket and connect to that server and start communicating with what you need. Unfortunately, when you open up all these parallel connections like we're doing today, it confuses some of the TCP IP algorithms and, and this and that. And to make a long story short, what HTTP2 says is that you can open up a single connection to the web server and unlike HTTP 1 of today, where you have to send off a request and wait for the response, with HTTP 2, you can, it's fully multiplex, and you can just send off as many requests as you want to the web server. You don't have to wait for a response. So when a web page loads and the browser sees that it needs these two images and this CSS file and these 10 JavaScript files, it can just have one efficient connection where it says, give me this resource, this resource, this resource, this resource, and the server just starts sending things back as quick as it can over one efficient connection. And the idea was that, 
Well, yeah, the idea was that um, everyone who does things like uh, inlining images and concatenating JavaScript files and things like that, that maybe it will all go away because we'll be able to pull multiple resources much more efficiently with HTTP2. You know, and that's going to be... It's going to work better for us, too, where we look inside the profile with the timeline and we see the assets coming down. Because, like, right now, when you look at the profile and timeline and kind of Chrome DevTools, you see, here's my eight requests, and then there seems to be a waiting period until the next eight go, for example. Right. All, all of that is supposed to improve, at least in theory. <laughs> of course, uh, uh, as you pointed out earlier, that's great when you know all those requests right yes. now, and they have no mutual dependencies, and they don't have a particular order in which they have to be arri- arrive or be played. And, you know, then it's like, hey, I know all 30 things I want, go get them, which yeah. is not the world of the programmer as we've been describing it, as you've been describing it, in which you don't, you have to get the first thing in order to know what the next thing is. And then when you get that thing, you know, it's it's serial, not, you can't do them in parallel. And HTTP2 isn't going to help us with serial dependencies. No, at least not w- with what we have today. And I know, so what I could see happening is, with JSPM and System.js, there's this uh, notion of a dependency cache, depth cache, I think it's called, where you can essentially describe the relationship between your modules up front so that when someone comes and asks for the foo module, System.js is smart enough to say, oh, if you need foo, then you also need A, B, C, D, and E. So let me just go grab all five of them. But building that dependency cache, that would still require a tool during development or when you're building things for production to put that information together. Yeah, and I think that's what you were driving at is that great as HTTP2 will be, uh, it's not, you know, we're still going to need the tooling to do that. And so things like JSPM and Webpack, which try and build up that dependency graph, are the part of our ongoing future. Yeah, I I mean, I think build tools like this are always going to be there. If, If for nothing else, for that reason, and also... I don't think transpilation is going to go away now because as soon as the browsers catch up to this year's specification, well, heck, we already have frameworks that are using next year's specification because next year's specification is supported by tools like Babel. Yeah, I I do want to add on, though, that I don't feel like... So ES6, ES2015, whatever, whatever it is, that's a huge leap. And I don't think the next year's... The, the years after that, the subsequent years, are going to be as large a leap. And so True. the targets for the browsers and the transpilers for future versions of JavaScript aren't going to be as big either. But I, I do agree with you that we are still going to need those tools because we're going to constantly have either legacy browsers that support the older versions of uh, the ECMAScript standard or, yeah, things are going to be moving ahead and we're going to be wanting to use the new versions either because the framework support it, certain browsers support it, or because it just makes things easier. Mm, true. And, you know, if you walk into the average development shop, I don't know if that's the correct term, but the shop where someone has been doing jQuery for a few years and has maybe been doing Angular for the last year or two, and you throw all the stuff at them, the new language features, these new tools, you have to do this and that and this module loading stuff is just, I think, overwhelming to a lot of people. And they're, for right now, turning it off and shutting it down for a little bit. Yeah, but most of the people who are listening to this, who have gotten this far in the podcast, are have decided that they're going to face it. <laughs> Otherwise, they checked out. So if they're here and still listening, all three of you out there, <laughs> Scott, you know, you seem to have had some pretty wide-ranging experience with these choices. And I don't think we want you to pick a winner, mm. but I do think... It would be great if you could – it sounds to me like you're sort of paying attention be, uh, about Webpack on the one hand and JSPM. I think – can you leave uh, – unless you think Browserify needs to be part of the conversation. Mm. If it boils to those two, how would you sort of put them side by side? Not so you have to say this guy wins and that guy doesn't, but but so we can understand what making a choice means or, or what the where, – where one might what, – what might be involved in making a decision. Sure. I think the way I would phrase this is that if I was starting a project today with a team that was going to be a public internet site, so we know it had to be efficient, blah, 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 I would probably choose Webpack as my tool and have it do all the bundling and all the great things that Webpack could do. On the other hand, if I was starting a project tonight, just trying to prototype something or explore some features, I would probably use JSPM. 
because it's the one tool where I can JSPM install this and JSPM install that and just load a couple scripts in the browser and everything is taken care of for me. I don't have to write a new grunt file or, or anything. Gulp file. It just all happens. Yeah. So so now, you know, I'm imagining a developer listening to this and, and, and they're saying, <laughs> you know, I'm an enterprise developer and I'm thinking about building this. You know, I don't, you know, JSPM is going to paint me into a corner. Well, that just decided it for me because, you know, JSPM is just for hello world. Is, is that mm-hmm. is that really what you're saying? Or are you saying JSPM will get me, will paint me into a corner that I can't get out of? Or what's the, why would I start with uh, Webpack today? Or why should I be afraid of JSPM tomorrow? Mom, words being mean again. <laughs> <laughs> I would put it like this. I, I think the tools have different philosophies. I think Webpack is geared towards let's bundle up your code and make it efficient and get it into the browser. JSPM, I believe its philosophy is, is on a much, much wider development experience that includes not only the package management, but also the module loading and the bundling. So yes, you absolutely could ship an application in production that's using JSPM to bundle up all the files for you. And the end result, at the end of the day, both these tools have a lot of overlap. I mean, uh, Webpack doesn't do package management. It assumes you're going to be using something like NPM or Bower. But you know, if you throw NPM and Bower into the mix, both these tools... They have a lot of feature overlap. They can do a lot of the same things. They can both bundle. They can both, uh, they both support plugins. So you can include transpilers like Babel. So you can include other loaders. Like you want to be able to bundle CSS together as part of a module and make sure it gets into the browser. They, they all do the same things. It's just hard to choose because the differences are, are sort of, are subtle. And to me, the differences are that Webpack, I consider sort of a, a serious tool that's very, oriented towards packaging things. Whereas JSPM, again, is a much broader development experience and wants to be your package manager and your bundler and your module loader and support your transpiler of choice. All right. So what I'm hearing is if your inclination is to be at all times as close to production ready as possible, you lean Webpack. Like you want to be able to practice right almost from the get-go what it would mean to get your application into production. And you want all your ducks in a row. And you want to know that those ducks are in a row and will work. Whereas with JSPM, I might be saying, you know, I put a premium on quick and easy to get going here. And if I suffer later to get it production ready, that's a trade-off I'm willing to make. I think that's somewhat fair, yes. That's pretty interesting. (laughs) I've had... I found that I haven't, in the end, other than style, I haven't found a whole lot of difference in as far as what each of those will give me. Meaning, pretty much everything I've looked for from System.js to JSPM combo, there's been a way to do that in Webpack, and vice versa. Yep. The biggest difference I've found between them is the configuration. And it's, it's a mental hurdle for me. Uh, I don't feel comfortable in either one of them, quite frankly, because there's just a lot of config to set mm-hmm. up. And yes, once it works, it works, but people are like, yeah, but yeah, you configure it, and once it works, you got it. But what happens when it doesn't work? Then you have to figure out, how do I, how do I modify that configuration? That becomes kind of a problem. You have to understand how it works to go there. But I think the biggest problem I've seen with both of them, honestly, is I've heard many people say, hey, the thing I love about System.js and JSPM or Webpack, insert your favorite here, is that I can just plug them in, and then I let the browser transpile everything for me. And that scares me mm. because I don't think in a production app you ever want to be there. No. Why would you want the browser to transpile thousands of files in the browser? No, yeah, you, you definitely wouldn't. I mean, I can write a Hello World application with JSPM that you can watch in the development tools. There's 15, 20 requests to the server for different JavaScript files because... It's transpiling on the fly and just loading modules willy-nilly when it needs to. And it's a nice development experience because I didn't have to set anything up or do anything with a configuration file. I just JSPM installed a few things and started writing code. But it's, like you're saying, it's certainly not what you would ship as a production application. Yeah, because but, both these tools and, let you transpile on the browser. But I think what right. we're saying is that while that may be great for short-term development, you right. still, and both of them do this, you still want to use either one of those tools to do transpilation and, and building on the server, right. right? It goes back to what I was saying earlier where JSPM, 
I feel like it has that philosophy of let's make your development workflow easy. So if, if that's how you want to start, just transpiling things on the fly and having 15, 20, 200 requests to start the homepage, then you can do that with JSPM and then bundle later. But you yeah. would definitely want to bundle. Yeah, in case anybody thinks that that's okay, my experience with the smallest uh, apps is that as a developer, particularly because you're cycling through these things, the weight becomes apparent and painful pretty early. Is that your experience too? Right. I mean, I want to be able to save a JavaScript file, and by the time I really get my focus on the browser, things should be pretty much reloaded for me, right? And if we're loading lots of little files every time that I save a file, you know, and reloading that page... And it's taking a couple seconds. That, that definitely feels like a hindrance to the, the flow. Yeah. And that you know. does happen to you uh, with the JSPM and SystemJS and very, very quickly, I think. I, at least I found that to be true. Is that your, and that's your, you're saying, yes, that's true for you too. I'm saying yes. I'm saying like using the Aurelia framework, you can use the Aurelia framework with JSPM and not transpile anything up front. Just do it all in the browser. But it takes some time. Between all the little requests and all the transpilation, you're, you're waiting a noticeable amount of time for the browser to get up and running. So when you hit that wall, is it quick to fix to get yourself out of that and still stay in the JSPM world? Or am <laughs> I, have I driven off a cliff and I might as well have started with Webpack anyway? No, it's pretty easy. With JSPM, actually, it's pretty interesting. What you can do is you can tell JSPM that you want to bundle and you want to bundle starting with this file or you know bundle modules A, B, and C, and it will create not only create the bundle file for you, but it will modify, if you want, it will also modify the runtime configuration so that you actually don't have to change your web page at all. This is actually something I like about JSPM, and I just thought of two things. One, I think, that only works in Webpack, and, and this feature, which I think only works in JSPM, but let me talk about the JSPM thing. So you're in that situation... Things are going a little bit too slow. Now you tell JSPM, hey, I want to bundle everything and inject the configuration for this bundle. And what JSPM will do is change your configuration so that in your HTML pages, you don't have to change any script tags. You don't have to change anything. Now, when your page goes off and requests, let's say, the bootstrapping module, JSPM has configured System.js so that System.js says, oh, the bootstrapper module that's in this bundle file. So I'm just going to load this one file, which brings in 50 other modules, and now everything's in the browser. And at some point in the future, then it's also very easy to tell JSPM that you want to unbundle or remove that piece of configuration about the bundle files. If you want to go back to individual files for some reason, maybe you know debugging or something like that. Or later, if you want to split that one big bundle into a little bundle and a larger bundle and load the little bundle just on the shell page, Again, that's something that JSPM can do, and it modifies your scary configuration file for you to do that. Cool. I hope you have a blog post on this. Uh, I don't. I should. The yeah. thing I thought about with Webpack is, uh, and I haven't tried this feature yet, but I'm pretty sure that I read that it can do a hot reload of a specific script when you're using Webpack as the, the also the development server. So you save a JavaScript file, and instead of reloading the page and reloading all the JavaScript, it can just take that hunk of code and patch it into the application, and now you click a menu item again, and it behaves differently, right? Wow, yeah, I think that would be cool. Uh, hot loading. Uh, yes, I read that too. It's called hot loading. There, yeah. I kind of think of that like uh, rate arrays, right? You're hot swapping out your your drives as you go on the fly. Yeah. My development experience has been with JSPM System JS that I first started looking at Angular two. It seems like every example, this is months ago, every example was using System.js and JSPM such that it was module loading and transpiling in the browser. Mm. Uh, and then I found out quickly that the config file, which was pretty big for it, as soon as I ripped all that out, I said, I don't want to do it in the browser. I want to start by, I want to install TypeScript in the server. I want to transpile my TypeScript to ES5 on the server. Mm. I want to do all that there. I actually got smaller configuration because now JSPM didn't have to be concerned with dealing with all that stuff in the browser. So not only did it get faster in my development experience, but it was actually less config for me to manage. And the only additional thing I had to do was install TypeScript and, and run TSC at the command line or use WebStorm and have it do it for me. Uh, so to me, that has been my development experience that I've liked lately. And I'm kind of looking for that from Webpack too. Mm. Uh, I'm about to try it myself. I haven't tried too much Webpack lately, but uh, I'm about to jump back into that and see <clears> how does that 
Yeah. That actually brings me into another question that I had, and that was, how complete are the plugin ecosystems for these? Where, you know, they're compiling assets or building JavaScript files and maybe doing uglifying in one way or another. Do, do they have options for all of those different things? So for TypeScript or Dart or ES5, or I, I just started working on an app that it has imported code in ES5 and then it has custom written code in ES6. And so I want it to build out the ES6 and then I want it to build out the ES, you know, compile everything into what the browser will run. Do they have plugins for all that stuff? Yes. The amazing thing I think about these tools is that if there's something you can think of that you want them to do, chances are someone has already written the plugin to do that. So whether it's TypeScript or ES6 or, you know, does it support this file over here that was written in com- with CommonJS uh, and also this file over here that was written with ES6 modules, it, all this stuff just does everything. And Charles, I used to use Gulp too with uh, SystemJS. So while there's plugins for some of these things, you can still use Gulp or Grunt if you want with either one of these. And I've seen several examples of Webpack and with JSPM SystemJS where, you know, instead of using a plugin, people are still driving a workflow with Gulp and Grunt and just having a call Webpack or having a call JSPM to do the bundling yep. uh, at a certain stage. So it's not like either one of these, I didn't feel like either one of them boxed me into a corner when I was, when I was dealing with them. Yeah, but that's the way we used to do things, John. <laughs> yeah, like five minutes ago. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, Scott, I one of the things that I've experienced or, or and heard charged about Webpack is that you, when you set it in motion, it spits out an enormous amount of stuff that's hard to fathom. Uh, is that an experience that resonates with you, or do you think that that's overblown, or do you think it can be tamed in some way? What's, or is it just not true? What's your reaction? If you're talking about what the output of Webpack is, yes, the code looks messy. It's not something you want to step through or look at. Yeah, but does it doesn't generate sitemaps and stuff that your dev tools can then pick through and put you in the right place, mostly? Yes. Source maps work. Source maps, not sitemaps. Yeah. And JSPM, uh, sort of the same thing. There's been a couple times with JSPM and system.js where I've been trying to figure out what's happening either because of a problem or just trying to figure out for curiosity's sake. And stepping through that code, also not very fun, but that seems to be the world we live in now. Yeah, I made a misstep at one point with system.js and JSPM where early on, and I haven't hit this recently, but early on I did something, and all of a sudden it was literally loading about 10 mega files. So I don't know what I did, but I stepped in a pit and a hole, and I managed to get myself out of it. But uh, I think it's easy with any of these tools to end up in that world. So what's it like to configure, though? I mean, I've had I have very limited experience with JSPM and system, really with system.js, and sure. my configuration efforts seem rather small and relatively easy to understand. I'm talking about ten, fifteen lines, maybe, and it looks very. I can manage that, and I can see what's going on at a glance. And what I hear about Webpack is that there's no such thing as ten or fifteen lines. There's only hundreds. Have I heard wrong, or are you going to tell me that you know you get used to it, or are you going to tell me that there's a specific tool <laughs> that makes it easier to work with? What, what what are you going to tell me? My perspective is that with Webpack, one thing you'll see with Webpack is that people will write large configuration files because they use Webpack for everything. They even use Webpack as their development server, so it spins up a process and serves your HTML and everything. And that's when you can get into a larger configuration file. And there's lots of things that I think are quite ugly about a Webpack configuration file. It's sort of more in the declarative grunt style than, well, that's what I would compare it to. It's a very declarative style of here's this loader and this is the configuration for it. And here's a regular expression to test whether this is where when you want to use this loader. And it goes on and on and on. Now, to be fair, the JSPM configuration file can be large and ugly. But for the most part, I never look in the JSPM configuration file. It's just managed for me by JSPM. And if there's anything that I need to change about the configuration, I'll create a second file with four or five lines of code and just load that after JSPM's configuration file so it sort of overrides what's inside of JSPM. But this is where these two tools are a little bit different, where with JSPM, you're not going to be using it as a development server. So you're not going to have that sort of configuration in there. It's really just about managing modules. 
Hey, Scott, if somebody wants to get started learning either one of these, where, where would you point them towards? Well, I think they both have great homepages, which we'll list in the show notes. And what really hooked me on JSPM, and it, that goes back to this philosophy of JSPM tries to make for an easy development workflow, there should be a video still on the JSPM homepage that shows a presentation where a guy is using JSPM and just says, you know, I want to JSPM install such and such a thing, and let's use it in the page. And wow, now I'm going to write some ES6 code to import that thing. And look, it just all works. And I haven't done any configuration or haven't written any gulp files or I don't have a build. I think that will give you the essence of what JSPM is about. And I'm pretty sure Webpack has the same thing. It has a link to a couple videos from the homepage and some tutorials that, that will walk you through using Webpack where you can create an HTML file, create a JavaScript file that's using ES6 syntax, and create a CSS file, and Webpack puts them all together and can serve them up to you. Do you feel like either one of these lend themselves better or worse than the Interesting question. I, I don't think so. I mean, the recurring theme throughout the show, I think, has been both these tools have a lot of the same features, and there's really no huge differentiator. And I, I think either one will be fine with Angular 2. Do you see any reason why Angular 2 might? Because I, I heard rumors for a while that they were going to actually adopt JSPM and System.js, and then I heard that they were going to recommend it and not necessarily full-on adopt it. You know, And now I'm hearing that they're just saying, yeah, use whatever works. Um, would there be an advantage to them saying this one works well, use it? Well, I think for a lot of p people who are building frameworks, they always want you to be able to get started with that framework very easy. And I think that is, again, an advantage of JSPM because it gives you both a package manager and something that you don't have to write any configuration for because it'll manage your configuration. And so out of the box, if you just tell people, look, you have Node installed, NPM install this tool, and then JSPM, and now use JSPM to install Angular and start running your web page. I think that would be the advantage that JSPM offers. You're pretty close to the Aurelia project. Are, are they taking that tack as well uh, in terms of trying to get build a community that feels comfortable? Or are they using something else, or are they totally agnostic? Rob of the Aurelia team has always been a fan of JSPM, and he's used it pretty much since the beginning of the public release as the way to work with the Aurelia framework. That doesn't mean that Aurelia requires JSPM. You can use whatever you like, but all of the documentation and all the samples are showing you how to use JSPM to get an Aurelia application up and running. And is he trying to build a community around that? I don't, you know, not necessarily any, I think Aurelia will tell you to use whatever works for you. But certainly they've been trying to have people adopt JSPM. There's always resistance to these tools and complexities that they add. Yeah, I wasn't thinking in terms of how it would shackle you to something. I was just wondering whether whether that was a position. Every framework has to figure out what to teach, you know, as they're trying yes. and get people to come to the say, come, 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 come use us. And uh, you try not to confuse the, the audience that you're trying to attract. And I was just yes. wondering whether, you know, you have experience with a wide array of frameworks, and I wondered if you felt that these frameworks were lining up behind something as the easiest pathway to their door. And Aurelia has decided that JSPM is the easiest pathway to their door. Yes. Uh, I don't know where Angular 2 is coming down on that, but it looks like the same thing. I don't know about other frameworks. Do you? Do you know? Yeah, I don't know of the other frameworks uh, well, I, I tend to think the React framework and the people in that community tend to favor Webpack, mm -hmm. but that's my perception anyway. Yeah, I had that perception too, and I don't know where Ember's coming down. So it's it's interesting, um, uh, how, you know, and, and so much of what people end up with is what they first learn. That's why they give why the different computer vendors hand out different computers at, to to high school kids and grade yes. school kids, right? So they can get them hooked. So. <laughs> Uh, but what's encouraging, though, from your report, uh, you know, is, is that you're feeling that uh, you can't really go wrong here in making a choice to, between one or the other. You, your feeling is you can't go wrong. I don't think so. I don't think that you would put yourself in a position where your application is going to fail because you chose JSPM versus Webpack. I don't see how that could happen. Good. I have all my own reasons to fail then. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> And I think, uh, conversely, let's say you picked Webpack and you want to switch to JSPM, I don't think you would take a lot of effort to go from one to the other either, quite frankly. Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. 
I think it would be relatively easy to swap out. I, I think this is, a, again, one of those situations where, in the end, for large applications, this is such a small piece of putting that application together, kind of like people that argue over grunt and gulp, you know. I don't care. It's <laughs> it's something, hopefully, that will spend a little bit of time authoring up front, and then we tweak it as we go along, but it's not really where we invest a lot of time. It's just infrastructure that is going to work for us, and right. writing the application is really what it's about. And you're not changing, neither one of these change the way you code it. You're still coding as if you're using modules. So whether you Absolutely. use HTML or Webpack, you should be good to go. Right, right. That certainly sounds like the way it should be, and it's the. But it has felt to me often that it was. It's like going up to a house, and I'm sure there's a great, wonderful house behind that front door, but I can't find the darn handle. I can't find the doorknob, and I can't get in. And that's what these things that shouldn't be in our way. They've been very much in the way of my getting a taste of some of these. Uh, uh, new opportunities, whatever might be behind that golden door, I can't find the doorknob. So, so I'm hoping this clears up what you're suggesting now. And this is a rarity for our show, uh, which is that it's actually going to be okay no matter which way you go, which doorknob you install. <laughs> so I have one more question, and that is, let's say that another package manager slash module loader, loader comes in, it comes along. Oh. I mean, we see this all the time, right? Where there's some new hot framework and everybody's like, oh, you got to be, you got to have that. How would you evaluate that to say whether it's better, worse, or the same as JSPM or Webpack? I would probably look at it from two different angles. The first angle would be in production, does it produce code that is significantly faster or significantly slower than the tool I'm using today? That would be one way to look at it. And I guess the second way to look at it would be, does it have an impact on my development workflow? Does it require me to write more configuration or less configuration? Make sure it supports the transpilers I need, whether it's TypeScript or Babel or what have you. But I, I can't imagine another one would come along and not have all the same plugins and extensibility points. So, And I guess uh, related to that then is, is there a feature that you wish these had that would impact one of those two things? Well, as far as Webpack goes... I wish there was a way to use it with a little less configuration. Like John pointed out, the configuration files can be a little bit long, depending on what you do with Webpack, but they can also be difficult to read, I think. Mm -hmm. So I wish that was a little bit different. JSPM, some of my biggest problems have been with, as a package manager, sometimes things get cached or sometimes things don't get placed in the right place on the file system. I, I don't know what goes wrong, but I occasionally have that experience where... I just wipe out my JSPM packages folder and reinstall everything from scratch to get things working again. Maybe if there was a way for JSPM to uh, diagnose some of these issues and give me some clear error messages on why something couldn't be found or is not loading or uh, versions aren't resolving properly, that sort of thing. Why is JSPM? I don't really want it to do the NPM Bower GitHub install. I actually just want to use system-based modeling and use JSPM for the bundling. Mm. Getting the packages, quite frankly, I've been happy with NPM. I don't necessarily need yet another thing to show them up. So if I ever wish, I feel like JSPM should just, you know, forget about that part and help me with the module loading and help me with the uh, bundle. Yeah, that's true. I, I guess to, to JSPM, because it is managing the configuration of where things live for you, where different modules are. I guess it has to type into that pipeline somehow. And typically when you install something with JSPM, it's just going to and the NPM repository uh, and grabbing bits for you. But maybe there's a way for it to figure those things out. Yep. And to be honest, I'm bl I blow away my node modules folder uh, repeatedly anyway because just things, yes. yeah, <laughs> things go wrong right there. I was like, ah, clear the decks, reinstall, and see what happens. But That's that we could do all yeah, I've got rest on Steam dial. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, we could do a whole show on how things go wrong. With packages <laughs> and versions. Oh, boy. Because uh, it, it's just uh, nothing but hell. It is. What a bright <laughs> note. What a bright note to end the show. Yes. Let's Thanks, have boy. picks. <laughs> Woohoo! All right. John, do you have some picks for us? Uh, you know, I'm going to stay on topic with these picks, but I think this show assumes that you're interested in package load packages or model loaders, which assumes you're doing ES6 or TypeScript and possibly doing Angular 2. So there's a lot of assumptions we're making here. My big pick on this one would be, 
I think if you're going to do JavaScript in this next uh, year, you need to learn one of these things. You need to learn how modulators work uh, and pick either ES6 or TypeScript and, and run with it because these things are not going away. This is kind of where it's all heading. Awesome. Ward, what are your picks? I'm sorry. I should have picks, but I don't. So on to the next person. Can my, pick be, can my second pick be Ward? I want to pick Ward. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, always picked, I'm usually picked last, John, so that's really nice. <laughs> you can be on my team, Ward. <laughs> there you go. Um, real quick, I've got a couple of picks. I did pick this on other shows this week, and I know that that drives some people crazy, but too bad, I guess. My wife and I, we cut the cord to uh, the TV, and we've been using Netflix and Hulu and Amazon to get our shows and stuff. And my wife was lamenting the fact that not all of the shows that she likes to watch every week are on Hulu Plus or these other systems, at least not right away. And she doesn't really like watching them on her computer, and they don't always work on her iPad. And so I started looking around to try and figure out, okay, what can I do to set up an antenna? And so I started out, and I ordered one off of Amazon, and we hooked it up, and we got four channels, two of which were in Spanish, and two of which were other stuff. And my sister-in-law lives like, or used to live like a mile from here, and she could get like 20 or 30 channels on her antenna. So we went and got an antenna that said it had a better range on it. Same problem. So then I went online and looked around, and it turned out that a bunch of the websites said that we could only get those couple of channels, but it also seemed like some of the neighbors had antennas up and they were getting all the channels. So I finally found a website. It's called tvfool.com, and you can actually search your area. So if the smaller antennas aren't working for you, you can't figure out what's available in your area, go there instead of antennaweb.org. And it actually listed out all of the TV stations we wanted and showed that we could get them, but we had to get a high-powered directional antenna and point it at the transmitter because we are just behind the part of the mountain that the the transmitter sits on. And so we didn't have direct line of sight. We had kind of direct line of sight. And so um, we got one of those antennas. works great. Got about 40 channels, culled about 20 of those because they were either in Spanish, which I don't speak, or they were um, shopping channels, which I'm not really interested in watching, and neither is my wife. But that's worked out fine. So now we have, you know, all of the three-letter local stations and a couple of PBS stations for the kids. And so that's been kind of nice. So tvfool.com, we got the antenna at Lowe's. Um, we just got the $70 jobber. But that's a lot less expensive than a TV subscription through Dish. Chuck, so- why didn't you just go into the closet and take a coat hanger out? and shape it into an antenna and stuff it into the back like we used to. It doesn't work like that? It doesn't work like that if you're not direct line of sight. If uh, if we were direct line of sight, we could have put rabbit ears up and stuff. And it would have just, uh, you know. I'm reminded, by the way, of a great Bob and Ray show in which they took a TV antenna and turned it into a coat hanger. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, anyway, so that's that's my pick. And then I've also been reading the Michael Vay books by Richard Paul Evans. Not super sophisticated books. They are young adult fiction, but they're fun. They're fun reads, and they're they're pretty fast reads. So uh, if you have an afternoon free and you want a book, go pick up Michael Vay, Prisoner of Cell 25. The latest book is Michael Vay, Storm of Lightning, or something like that. And uh, yeah, they're kids with powers that relate to electricity, which is kind of fun and interesting. So anyway, those are my picks. Scott, what are your picks? I think my pick will actually be an old TV series that I've been binge watching on Amazon because actually I don't watch a lot of TV. And sometimes when I travel to places, people will ask me, where are you from? And I'll say, Hagerstown, Maryland. And they'll say, they'll have no idea where that is unless they're somewhere in Maryland also. (laughs) So I'll say, oh, it's near Baltimore. And they'll say, Baltimore? So you've watched The Wire, right? And I've always had to say, no, I've never watched The Wire. But there's a reason for that, because when I start watching these things now, I I tend to binge watch. I started The Wire last week, and I just find myself awake at 4 o'clock in the morning with like a full beard, and and everything's (laughs) falling behind. And, you know, I've just gotten through 10 episodes of it. But it is a really good TV series. I was actually quite amazed at some of the just little subtle things that go on in the background that kind of help the story along. 
I know exactly what you mean. It's amazing how the time goes by. I'm trying to catch up on 30 decades of The Price is Right, and it's taking mm. time. But the way that story relates is because The Wire is set and was mostly filmed, I believe, in Baltimore, Maryland. Indeed. Mm-hmm. And some of the not-so-nice parts, mostly. Yeah, and when Ward says 30 decades of The Price is Right, that's how old Bob Barker was before he retired. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming, Scott. If people want to follow up with what you're working on or get in touch or anything like that, what are the best ways to do that? Sure. If you just search for Ode to Code, you should find my website and find me on Twitter and Facebook. And I use that moniker everywhere. It's been really great having you on, Scott. And that was extraordinarily helpful for me in understanding where the state of package managers are today. I agree. It was a great episode. You guys are always fun to talk to. Not always. (laughs) Catch me when I just wake up. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess that's the show. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 